Welcome to the Sports on Point podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Smith, joined in the studio by the phenom, Mr. Bob Williams. I am not an apparition. I do exist. It's true. It's true. And of course, the guy pressing the buttons, Mr. Pod Severance. Me no want to move your pork. A lot, a lot of news, a lot of big, big stuff, stuff going on this week. week. Um, I, 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 I think we've got, got uh, more, than more than enough material, material to keep you guys entertained for the next half an hour or so. so. Uh, uh, but before we get too much into it, Bob, why don't you kick us off with the Week in Rewind. The Sports on Point Weekly Rewind. A week in review with Matt Smith and Bob Williams. Let's back it up. Starting off with Thursday, Brandon says Big House could get bigger from ESPN. Yeah, this is this is kind of an interesting statement. Uh, the athletic director for Michigan is saying that the big house could possibly be expanded by closing in one of the end zones in the next couple of years. Of course, the big house already the largest football stadium in uh, all of college football. Uh, I don't know. Like, it seems to me that if I'm Brandon, I'm probably going to be spending a lot more of my time and focus on getting the football program into a shape that's worth going to see before I spend time adding seats to a stadium so more people can. But what they really need to do is just take out all the seats because we know at this point uh, they have the incredibly small seating to begin with and just throw it mosh style and have everyone run around in the circle so it looks like the actual toilet bowl it might be. Um, honestly, that's, that's a fantastic, fantastic idea. idea. <laughs> Why do you need to go bigger? Uh, I, from from what I've heard, uh, you know, hearsay and all this fun stuff, that the actual noise or, or uh, cheers and all that fun stuff kind of gets dampered because of the shape of the stadium to begin with. So maybe maybe closing the end zone makes it louder, and they might get more of a home field advantage. On Friday, Boston Pizza, now known as Vancouver Pizza. Yeah, this sounds a little confusing. Uh, Matt actually brought this to attention while I was reading the article, or how he read the article. Uh, Boston Pizza is actually well known in Vancouver, up in Canada, and because of the Vancouver-Boston series, they smartly changed their name to Vancouver Pizza until the Stanley Cup is over. I, either way, they would have still sold pizza. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the name change probably isn't going to have too much of an effect on their sales. Uh, what it may have a solid effect on is the um, you know number of eggs that get smashed into their storefronts on a daily basis. I don't know that's about the only that's about the only reasoning I can see for this. Now I, I'm a little confused as to why the tra- chain is called Boston Pizza in the first place. It's not like the city of Boston has ever been really known for their pizza. I mean I've been to Boston several times, and when you go to Boston, you get a good slice of pizza. It's New York style pizza. So why don't they just call it New York Pizza? Maybe the persons from Boston decided to give a big F you to the supposed Greater New York Pizza. <laughs> the Greater New York Pizza. That's an episode title. On Saturday, sources say Cavs attempting to add the number two pick, too. Yeah, the Cleveland Cavaliers' uh, combined draft pick total is five, which is actually the lowest total that any team has ever had in NBA history, um, at least since the uh, at least since the draft uh, lottery format. So this is this would be kind of a uh, unique uh, one-time deal if the Cavs do end up getting the number one and number two pick. Uh, I, I I like the idea. I think that the Cavs have enough of a blank slate right now. But at this point in time, it, it just really pays for them to add as much top-level talent as they can. And uh, this is definitely a, a cheaper way of doing it than free agency. And considering the, the 
string of luck they've had in the past several years with uh, luring free agents to Cleveland. Now that LeBron's gone, I'm not sure that there is a better way to get him there. It, it, it's funny because uh, this this deal uh, was kind of tweeted by Chris Broussard around an idea involving the Pistons, who Rip Hamilton uh, is actually represented by Leon Rose, who's one of uh, LeBron's guys at CAA, and. For this, yeah, for this to go through, it has to go through him, and, and it doesn't seem to be too great of an idea, because he doesn't want to play here because of the supposed mistreatment that Gilbert gave um, based on some goofy Comic Sans angry letter. But honestly, I'm going to agree with you in the, in the fact that they do need to get as much talent, top-level talent, or just overall talent. Uh, when you had three D-League guys in your rotation in Manny Harris, Marto Samuels, and Alonzo G., you try to get it as much as possible any way that you can get creative with the fact that you have the fourth draft pick you have the huge TPE the trade player exception why not now go back to that CAA connection I'm not sure that that's more of an incentive for him to go there because any agent in this situation has to know he's going to go to Cleveland get his buyout and then leave if I'm uh, if I'm Leon I'm staying let's go to Cleveland and stick him for however many millions of dollars and never even have to play a game yeah, no, it, it seems to make sense, but this was the same exact deal that was proposed in the, at the trade deadline, and he wouldn't do it. And That's from right. the reports, it was ten to twelve million dollar buyout. But because he wasn't getting the full money or getting as much money, it seems like at this point, Rip Hamilton doesn't care about winning again. He cares about the money because he could have went to the Chicago for the mid level exception. But he wants the the ability to. <coughs> I, I guess at this point in the off season, he can get that buyout and sign from to anyone for the most money. I, I, this is just strange. On Sunday 2011 NBA playoffs, Jason Terry will have Larry O'Brien trophy tattoo removed if Dallas Mavericks fail to win the NBA Finals versus the Miami Heat. Honestly, I understand that getting a tattoo of a symbolic thing, but Jason Terry has not won a trophy, to my knowledge. Nope. Uh, so, cool, yeah, you, you put a trophy of a trophy, or you got a tattoo of a trophy that you may or may not ever win. Sorry, double negative. But it didn't look good. It, 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 well, it looked good for him in the first half where he was lighting it up, and then he went ice cold in the second half, which is sort of reason why they fell. Yeah, the uh, the tattoo he actually got in an off-season party before the season started from Deshaun Stevenson's private t- tattoo artist. I guess when you've had as many as he's had, um, you have your own private artist. But uh, put it on beginning of the season to... I guess motivate or or kind of propel the team to whatever championship the, the biggest problem that you just said was Deshaun Stevenson. Yeah, well, you can't <laughs> see me. But um, yes, that doesn't show up on the podcast. <laughs> well, insert. We'll have to put insert. <laughs> whenever, whenever yes. you're an NBA player and you're stealing your taunts from WWE wrestlers, there's just a, there's just a disconnect there somewhere. But uh, yeah, you know, supposedly it was he put it on his arm to kind of motivate him and his teammates up to that championship level. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, it came pretty darn close. I guess maybe next year you, I don't know, tattoo a picture of yourself shaking the president's hand or something. Maybe that'll work. I don't know. On Monday, Sports Illustrated investigation on Ohio State's Jim Trestle. Yeah, I think this was a long time coming. I think if uh, if you're not aware of the story, you just have had your head under a rock for the last, I don't know, six months or so. 
But uh, the, the, the D-Day finally came. Jim Trestle is on his way out, and uh, the, the speculation has already begun about who the replacement is. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to say that this is a really, really sad day for the Buckeye faithful, but when you kind of look at everything that's come out over the last several months, you had to kind of think it was inevitable, didn't you, Bob? A little bit. Uh, the timing is probably the weirdest thing. Uh, the, the, the fact that uh, Gene Smith and, and Gordon G at Ohio State just seemed like they were going to back him. Uh, and, and then, you know, the day before this article was supposed to come out and pretty much based on the hype, it was supposed to be the, the final straw, the, the big thing that pretty much forced the uh, resignation of uh, Jim Trestle. And this article was a lot of rehashing. Uh, brought up Ray Isaacs uh, at YSU, which we knew about. Claret, which, okay, we know about Claret. The only thing that it really brought up was um, a, a bunch of new names, you know, possibly nine new players, which the NCAA is currently investigating, and uh, a, a person that we now know as Ellis, who, who could be, the, you know, the next deep throat or, you know, smoking gun to this whole investigation. But will it will it hold up against the NCAA because it's a no-name guy? It's all these convicted drug felons. I I wasn't blown away by this article, and, and based on the fact that it was published by a Pulitzer Prize winner, I thought there was going to be something more. Yeah, I, I, don't get me wrong. I think there was some I think there was some good reporting work in the article, but I I kind of agree that the the. Uh, shock factor wasn't really there, but you know we'll get into that a lot more in the to the point section. So let's move on to the next headline. On Tuesday, Dwight Howard says his first choice is to remain in Orlando. Call it PR. Call it actually him wanting to stay in Orlando. Uh, as sad as this sounds, we we've seen this song and dance before in Cleveland uh, with a LeBron James decision. Uh, so in, until there's there's ink drying and even uh, there, there's reports that he might do a two-year extension, does that really give Orlando enough time to, to, to put the right pieces with him? I, I, don't, I don't know if it does. Dwight Howard is an incredible player. He's he's defensive presence. His offense game lacks some uh, definition. I, I I guess is the best way to say it. He's he's got some got some work to do still on the offense. Although I do believe he improved vastly from last year to this year. Um, I I wouldn't say he's quite to the superior skill level of I don't know Shaquille O'Neal who retired today, but um, you super super. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing okay. the Wednesday headline. All right. <laughs> uh, I don't know that he quite has the offensive repertoire of a Shaquille O'Neal, but uh, here's the thing. Defense is fine. It's great. It's good. It's all of that. But offense is what sells tickets, and offense is what convinces other people to come play with you. And I think until Dwight Howard develops that strong offensive repertoire, I don't think that he's going to be able to convince a lot of big-name players to come join him in Orlando. And I don't know. I just I just, I, I, I applaud him for his diligence if he does stay in Orlando. And I, and I, I strongly, strongly um, endorse that maneuver just because, you know, what we've experienced here in Northeastern Ohio. But... If, if if he thinks that just his name inking with Orlando is going to get things done, 
I think we've seen precedents that that's not necessarily the case. And and for him to do this, if I, I think for Orlando to be successful, a two-year extension doesn't mean anything. Again, they're going to try some crazy move and, and get some other you know new talent, you know, outsource Vince Carter, bring in Gilbert Arenas, the, the pieces that don't fit. When you look at how well they did when they reached the finals, it was with an offensive power forward. I, I think they need uh, another guy next to him. No offense to Brandon Bass. He's a solid power forward, but he, he's not that guy who's going to stretch the, the floor like a Richard Lewis or a Hidu Turkoglu when Turkoglu was doing well for, for that team and that created that a lot of those mismatches. So they, they if he wants to successfully navigate this whole situation it can't be a two-year extension or he's just gonna prolong the inevitable i guess in rounding the week off on wednesday shaquille o'neal announces his retirement that would be shaquille o'neal announces his retirement after 19 seasons i think in honor of shaquille o'neal's retirement i'm gonna do the rest of the show in shack voice oh god please don't okay, okay. um <laughs> The uh, the retirement of Shaquille O'Neal, I know it's kind of been a long time coming. He, we, we've seen him really fall off in the last five or so seasons from being that elite center that he used to be. But you have to remember, Shaquille O'Neal 13 times averaged 20 points and 10 rebounds a game. No other center in NBA history have ever done that. And that includes you know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Akeem Olajuwon, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell. None of them ever did that. Um, well, I, I take that back. That's that's misleading. They did it 12 times. Uh, Aki, uh, Kareem did it 12 times. Chamberlain did it 12 times. Shaquille O'Neal did it 13 times. Anything you want to say about his sides being the the differential, di- you know, the differentiating, fa- differentiating factor that makes him the great player that he is, all of that's irrelevant because it's not like Will Chamberlain or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar never used their size to their advantage. All in all, Shaquille O'Neal, great pro, one of the all-time greats. I'd say fourth best center all time? I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with four. You're going to go with it? Yeah. Four works for me. I don't know. I he He's definitely, right now, I will say, uh, unfortunately for me, Michael Jordan was not a player in, of my generation. I caught the tail end of his career. I would say Shaquille O'Neal is probably the greatest player of my generation, and I will probably go and say that he's the greatest personality in basketball during my generation uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but I, I won't say his size it will be his strength and physicality it's just something uh, an, it's an anomaly it's almost like Michael Jordan's presence with the ball at the end of the game it's like Dr. J revolutionizing the game with the fact that he could stay in the air forever you just you just had this power within Shaquille O'Neal during his entire even you know at the tail end that there was some sort of still strength and power that he could get every once in a while that just just amazed you know me as as a, as a fan uh, so fourth I guess I'll throw it in there yeah I'll agree with you just because I just I, dropped I him to, I just dropped him to fifth so oh, you just dropped him to fifth I just dropped him to fifth I forgot about uh, I forgot about Elijah one okay yeah I mean he, he shut him out in the finals you can't really vote against him yeah no it and I, I, one thing I'll say is, yes, Olajuwon had a, definitely less talent than uh, Shaq did during his career because Olajuwon never had a Kobe Bryant. No. 
So some of those other guys, you could kind of debate it because Walton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all those guys did have a lot of other great players around them. Not saying that one was better than the other, but maybe that might be a, a thing. But I was actually reading Twitter. The funniest thing is, is that he's having a name contest already. The big 401k. The big four. Oh yeah, 401k. I like it. And, and then ESPN even said the big finish. So I I like it. It's I would love to see him in studio from here on out with Charles Barkley. That might be the greatest or the worst thing ever. That would probably be the most censored thing ever, if nothing else. I wouldn't be able to understand them. They're just talking back and forth. We're hey. talking about pod. No, it's all right. I can't do Charles Barkley. Nor would I want to do Charles Barkley. <laughs> and that rounds off our week in sports. The remainder of this podcast is being sponsored by Shiner Bach. Not because they paid us, because it's just stinking awesome. I need my prompt on the screen, Bob. It's week in sports. Push the buttons. Yes. The number the Nubba Finals. The Nubba Finals. Nubba. Nubba. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the the world's longest uh, NBA season has finally come to an end. And I just say world's longest because, gosh, it just seems like we've heard about every single thing having to do with the Miami Heat ever since July 8th. And it hasn't stopped yet. We've still got uh, we still got the NBA Finals, and as of last night, Miami Heat take a one game to nothing advantage over the Dallas Mavericks. Defensively, just looking absolutely spectacular, uh, holding holding a Mavericks offense, which is you know one of the best in the league, to a mere what eighty one points is what they finished with last night. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. So uh, I, I I think if uh, I think if we see that kind of defensive commitment. From this Miami Heat team on a game-to-game basis, I don't even know that this is going to be competitive. Yeah, it's tough. In order for Dallas to actually have any chance, they have to win Game Two. Uh, you know, yeah, Miami has the home advantage, but I think that Miami, just based on the players that they have, can easily take one of two in Miami. So if they can somehow swing the momentum, which is going to be tough because of the uh, injury to Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah, it's just a torn tendon in his hand. He said it's, the shooting isn't going to be really disrupted. But the other things might be the rebounding, the dribbling, the passing. Uh, they have to take game, game two. Because if they don't and they lose one in Miami or in, in Dallas at home, you, you might as well put a fork in them. I think if you're Jason Terry and you're Dirk Nowitzki and you're the two remaining guys on the Dallas Mavericks team that were on that roster that lost after uh, going up 2 to nothing, I believe, uh, against the Miami Heat uh, back in 2006, 2005. I think they were up 3-1, weren't they? That sounds about right. But uh, I, I, I think when you saw what happened in a game where they kept it close for most of the first three quarters and then just... Got it poured on them in the fourth quarter. I mean, obviously it was a, it was a close game, but I don't think that there was any time in that fourth quarter you really felt like Dallas is going to win this game. I, I I I think what I've seen from this from this Miami Heat team in the postseason and specifically in the finals that I didn't necessarily see from them in the regular season was first of all a desire, which the regular season, yeah, they're crying in the 
locker room because they're on a losing streak. But at the same time, you when you watched them play, you didn't feel like they were playing with that same type of intensity. Uh, you never really felt like in the fourth quarter of close games that they were doing everything they needed to do to win the game. So I, I, I think the intensity has definitely picked up. And while the Miami Heat were a very good defensive team in the regular season, the way that they've been uh, playing their man man-up defense, the way they've been rotating and helping uh, on the drive, the way that they've been getting their arms and legs into the passing lanes, it's been just absolutely suffocating. And when you're a team like the Mavericks that really thrives on your ability to move the ball, get creative shots, and uh, you know essentially live and die from the outside shot, then I think that they're a team with their athleticism and their closing ability that really makes it tough for you to get the shots that you're used to getting. Even though the Dallas Mavericks went 3-0, I believe, against the uh, Miami Heat in the regular season this year, it's all changed with that intensity bump that we've seen from Miami in the postseason. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I I think the biggest factor in all of this is uh, someone who hasn't played for the Heat since November. I would say it's Udonis Haslam. Uh, He played 30-some-odd minutes. Uh, He's coming off an injury. Yeah, offensively, he went 3-for-8. But his defense, he added a a lot of length in in that... uh, front court because at points they had a lineup of D-Wade Mike Miller LeBron James, Jonas Haslam and Chris Bosh those were the guys who actually played the most in, in, in the game. You have no one under 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and that's going to be problems especially for Dallas who has Jason Terry who's undersized. You have Jason Kidd you know, Jose Juan Barea who definitely He's <laughs> probably the shortest guy on the court at this point, except Mike Bibby, who really didn't do much. I don't. I don't know that Berea's. I don't know that Berea's past the six foot marker. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't have any. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's a he's a kid out there amongst men. Yeah, but that that lineup. Yeah, it, it might not have the the, the size. Uh, he's actually six foot, but six that seven. that that might be a little uh, little lie that people like to do when it comes to actual heights. Uh, but that, that size in itself, sure, they might not have a seven-footer like Tyson Chandler or, or a bigger guy like Brendan Haywood, but they did have Joel Anthony in there for a little bit when they needed him. It, that, that's just tough to, to, to go, on, go up against on the offensive end and even defend on that. Um, so they did have some troubles in the <coughs> Oklahoma series with Harden and Durant, so... I can see see it, you know, keep going that way. In order for Dallas to do anything, they have to rely on their outside shot. They did shoot 40%, 9 of 22, but I think it's probably going to take more than that in order for them to take, a, take, take the game in Miami. You can't have Jason Terry pretty much vanishing in the second half. Where's Peja? Peja did absolutely nothing in the 15 minutes. I was going to say, that's a fair question. Where is Peja? But the, the, the nine of twenty-two stat might even be a little bit misleading, just because yeah, they were nine of twenty-two from three. But you know, three-pointers aren't the only outside shots. And when you look at their percentages from inside the arc, they were just, they just were not that good um, from the mid-range and out. Well, neither neither team were. Both teams shot sub forty percent, so it, it wasn't anything. But Miami doesn't have to. No, they don't. They don't have to shoot over forty percent. And, and that's the big thing. They've, they've got so much talent in the one-on-one game. They've got so much talent um, defensively that they can win games and shoot 20% from beyond the arc. 
or twenty percent from mid range. That it, it's it's I hate to say it, but scoring is almost irrelevant with this team because their defense is good enough and they've just got enough strong one on one players that they can run two versus five offense and, and still score enough points to win games. It sounds like a foregone conclusion, but what are our predictions for the NBA Finals? Uh, I'm saying I, I, I don't think I don't think that the first game was necessarily 100% indicative of what we're going to see from the whole series. I think that uh, I think that the Mavericks are a team that will pull out a game or two, but I, I, I think it's going to be Miami in six. That seems to be the popular thing going around. It's tough, you know. As a Cavs fans, we have all these things out out there: the Cavs or Mavs, the the Dallas Cavaliers. This, this whole it's it's almost that Dallas has morphed into this America's team. So I, I would love to say, hey, Dallas in seven, and I think they can do it. But even the optimist in me is kind of shutting that down, especially after that, that fourth quarter performance where they just fell apart. If they take game two, I'm going to say Dallas and seven. If they don't, they're done in six. Well, speaking of done, the big news coming out of Columbus, Ohio, was that Jim Trestle is, in fact, done. Um, <laughs> we talked a little bit about it in the weekly rewind. Um, Jim Trestle turned in his resignation on Memorial Day of all days. That was a little bit odd. But uh, turned in his resignation. Remembering under- the fallen. Or the fact that the last time he was on the sidelines of Ohio State, he was actually in camo at the spring game. So, another little twist. Uh-huh. Foreshadowing. And he also actually unveiled the camo helmet for Ohio State that they'll be wearing uh-huh. on this year. So, Luke Fickle has been named the interim coach for the entire 2011 season. So, uh, I, I will admit that I myself have, have engaged a little bit in the who's going to replace him for this year banter, and it's probably a little bit premature because they do have a coach in place for this upcoming season. Now, whether or not they stick to that is you know completely up in the air at this point in time, but that's the plan that they are moving ahead with. So, uh, all, the, all, the, all the coaching speculation, um, probably a bit premature, but... Uh, all of the reports that I've seen linked back to the amazing article, quote-unquote amazing article from Sports Illustrated, um, uh, with, with some details that linked to a wider, spread, a wider spread problem in Ohio State than what we had previously been uh, told was the case. And I don't think that that's much of a surprise to anybody. I think, um, you know, I, I, talking to... Uh, talking to a exterminator at one point in time, that I was told that um, you know if you find a spider in your house, that's there's probably nine more that you didn't find, and I think that the same could pretty much go for NCAA investigations and stories like this. For every one instance that you find of something like this happening, I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that at least nine other instances are going on. And that's what the Sports Illustrated article went on to point out, was what those nine other instances might be. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that, that, that many people are surprised by it. I don't, I don't know that it's all that groundbreaking, other than the fact that maybe it pushes that needle just a little bit more towards the athletic department as a whole, as opposed to just, as opposed to just Jim Trestle. Yeah, it, it's tough to say, especially since... We as Northeast Ohioans have always seen, or as I've always portrayed, as Trestle as this pious, moral guy. And, 
Yes, I said pious when it's actually pious. Pious. No, no, no. I, I didn't say uh, that. <laughs> I was I going to. I, yeah, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> pious and, and moral guy. And, and, and so a part of me wants to say that, yes, he did tell someone, which we do know he did send an email to mm. uh, Terrell Pryor's mentors, Sarmiac, Sarmiac, whatever, from PA. But I don't know, does, does that seem weird that we... I think that he might have done something, didn't, went to the compliance, went to Gene Smith, went to someone, and they're just like, eh, we'll just kick it to the side. So it, it might be a bigger problem. And I, I would like, once all this investigation is done, I would I would like them to take a look at the compliance office. I would like them to take a look at the uh, AD and see if, if they might need just a complete change. Uh, based on players tweeting and former players talking about Luke Fickle, it seems like that he's going to be a little bit more of a disciplinarian than Tressel was, which is kind of weird because we always talk about how so-and-so had trouble and he was in Tressel's doghouse, he never played, Ray Small, Rob Rose, some of these guys that were named in the article. So we, so we know he has some, he had some discipline, but I, I, I guess Fickle might be this no-nonsense guy that might change what's going on down there if 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 they if the NCAA deems that there's something a little bit more than just this yeah i don't know that um, i don't know that playing style has anything to do with necessarily coaching style or success but uh, i know i enjoyed watching luke fickle play in the early 90s for the high state buckeyes so um, uh, yeah it's 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 an unfortunate situation but i know like as as a buckeye fan myself I really feel like having Tressel step aside is the necessary move. I feel like Tressel, while he has been a very good coach at Ohio State, he has also been dealt a hand that's full of aces. And I don't necessarily think that he's irreplaceable by any stretch of the imagination. And I think with the magnitude of the accusation, accusations that have been coming through and the, the you know various stories that the Columbus Dispatch and others have been reporting on, uh, it's absolutely time for him to go, and uh, hopefully, if you're an Ohio State fan, that that changes the NCAA's opinion on what the punishment should be for Ohio State. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I, I, I guess the biggest thing, which they haven't said to yet, which is the lack of institutional control. Uh, we talked about it before during this thing mm-hmm. that they haven't come out and said this. This article might kind of lead down that route. You know, see if it is a, a deeper problem there. But honestly. Based on what we know as NCAA college football fans, and, and I'll even say just NCAA fans in general, what makes Ohio State special in, in all this is because they're one of those names, one of those programs like USC that got caught with their pants down. Something happened. They're going to try to take it to the extreme so other, other programs don't do it. But don't kid yourself. This stuff happens everywhere. You know, you, you've seen it already with Oregon and the street agents. The supposed supposed two hundred thousand dollar Auburn scheme with Cam Newton. This doesn't seem to be just a problem at Ohio State or at USC. We'll throw Connecticut, Tennessee, and basketball. <coughs> this might be just a problem of the NCAA in general. That we might need to take a look and revamp what's going on. Uh, you, you've seen, you've heard a little bit more reports about a pay-to-play program. I don't know if that's the correct way to go. But some people, maybe, maybe I've even heard this preposterous announcement that possibly NC, uh, Trestle can talk to the NCAA, try to figure out what happened, what went wrong, and they, they 
form some sort of investigatory consortium. Yes. Uh, and, and they look at how, how they can fix this bigger problem in the NCAA with these boosters, with this money, with this supposed dirty uh, these dirty programs or the, the style of how, it, how, how things end up. And it, and it doesn't seem that, yeah, it's a lack of institution control, whether it be Ohio State, Boise State with their tennis program that got them on probation, or USC, that maybe it's just the NCAA failing in general. That that might be the bigger issue. I don't I don't know. That hey, I, I'm 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 not going to deny that at all. I I think that if there's been one thing that we've learned over the last fifteen or sixteen months, it's that the NCAA has a real real bear of an issue when it comes to maintaining their amateur status in the way that they've intended to maintain it. And uh, you know, moving forward, I'm not absolving Jim Trussell of anything oh, because, no. uh, especially with someone who who resonated the uh, image that he resonated, the, the the just the presence of mind, the the the, the senator. I mean, the, the nickname says it all. That uh, you know, to to have been this blatantly ignoring the rules, I don't I don't condone that at all. And um, I think that uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see that Trestle's prize recruit from a couple of years back, uh, Terrell Pryor, isn't the next one on the chopping block, especially with stories coming out of ESPN where um, he has driven eight different cars in the last three years, um, all of which were on a suspended driver's license. There you go. That's the big thing is the suspended driver's license for the past two months. Like, that's dumbass. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that he rode up to this players-only meeting on Monday with a suspended driver's license... That's entitlement. Great mentoring, supposedly, by LeBron James, who he looks up to. Like, as an athlete, at that point, you have to think you're entitled to something. And you aren't. You know, you are there to play a game. You're not here to have all this fun, toys, shiny toys, and be this supposed demigod that you think you are. I would have no problem if he never played another snap at Ohio State. As far as I'm concerned, with a five-game suspension coming up, I actually kind of prefer that he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have you're gonna have somebody else taking snaps for the first two five games of the season. You're gonna have an offense under a new coach that's gelling under a new system. Although it may be very similar to the it old will system, be. it will be. Uh, you know, you're, you've got a situation where it's a new it's a new system altogether. You've got a new quarterback. That's perfect. Yeah, it, it's different in the NFL where quarterbacks don't come along all that often. But when you're talking about college sports. You got to get a new quarterback every four years, at least, no matter what. So, in this particular case, I don't know of a better scenario for a quarterback to come in and take over that team, um, as far as you know, taking the reins away from a, from a guy who's won games for him. Yeah, and, and definitely those people. Uh, I, I'm not like I don't want to throw Terrell Pryor to the Wolves when he has played. He has played fairly well. He's grown as a quarterback. On the field in the shoe, but the people who want to say that he's going to go in the supplemental draft, you have to realize that the NFL is in a lockout, and the supplemental draft might not even happen this right. year. So don't don't get too creative or, or too jump the gun with that. This is just an ugly situation. We're from Northeast Ohio. We we're I'm an Ohio State fan, and at this point, with the entire thing, it happened. 
the cover-up is worse than the actual problem. Trestle resigned. Smart thing to do. We as a fan base need to move on. And I think I think Fickle can possibly do that. And from there, you'll keep throughout this entire season, unless uh, even if he's winning, you'll hear names like Stoops, Pelini, Gruden, Urban Meyer, Patterson, and Gary Patterson. Yeah, and, and yeah, those are nice, but don't count Luke Fickle out. You know, he's an Ohio State guy. He understands the culture. He understands the tradition. And if he goes out there and leads them to a 10-win season, do you change it up? I, I don't know. So this is this is going to be a very interesting season. Yeah. And and, and I think uh, I think Luke Fickle will probably be a strong beneficiary of lowered expectations. So um, that, that always works in your favor when you're not expected to do much just because of the scenarios that are surrounding everything. So... All right, let's uh, let's move on a little bit to uh, the MLB All Star voting. We talked about this a little bit earlier, Bob. Uh, you had you had noticed some uh, p- peculiar trends, I guess would be the way to put it, uh, with the Major League Baseball fan voting. Yeah, fan voting. Uh, we know that the most visible teams are up in uh, the Northeast in, in the New England area. Uh, the Boston Red o- Red Sox and the uh, New York Yankees. But based on fan voting, uh, six of the nine positions are led by Yankees. This is an all-star game. I know the NBA, we've talked about this previously, where you have your top few teams get, getting a guy. Uh, with baseball, there is that sl- sl- you know that rule where you have to have at least one player from each team. Uh, it, it, it's tough. Uh, out, out of those people, you have Russell Mar- Martin, catcher. You have Mark Teixeira, first base. Robinson Cano, second base. Third base, Alex Rodriguez. Shortstop, Derek Jeter. Are, does that sound wrong? Uh, 100%. Especially, um, you know, especially with, the, with the brash media opinions about Derek Jeter that have been coming out, specifically from the New York media, the people that we would assume... Provide the news to the people who are making this erroneous voting. Um, it, it, entire infield, though. The entire infield. You would have to think that in order for a team to be worthy of assigning six all-stars from one roster, that defensively they would be untouchable, that their, 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 their run differential should be, I don't know, six or seven runs a game. Something ridiculous like that. And we understand that the Yankees are supposed to be this off- offensive juggernaut. But may- maybe I'm biased, but I, I-, I filled out a, you know, an-, an all-star vote, and I didn't actually have a single New York person. I, I-, I have the homework call. I do have Michael Brantley, who I-, I think has been indispensable for Cleveland at the start of the lineup. But Adrian Gonzalez could easily be over Mark Teixeira. Uh, Agree. Second base, okay, Robinson Cano. I, I can see that. Uh, Kendrick has a higher average, but he doesn't have the RBIs that Cano has. Okay. Derek Jeter, if, if you want to see this, this is a crazy stat. He is leading the vote by 300,000 votes. Derek Jeter is batting 264 with two home runs, 16 RBIs. Okay. As Jubal Cabrera, who is 
probably the top player of one of the best teams in the entire major leagues right now. I, he is the heart to the Cleveland this year. Is batting two ninety six. Okay, so that's thirty points better. Mm-hmm. Ten home runs, which he's not a home run guy at all. Which is a, a, a spike in in home home runs. But thirty six RBIs. He has double the RBIs, and he's three thousand less votes. Three hundred thousand. Yeah, 300,000. So, I, honestly, I think at this point, it should be a race between Johnny Peralta, who has you know a th- plus 300 batting average, 30 RBIs. Even Alexei Ramirez from the Chicago White Sox, I, I would say, would be better than Jeter. So, I understand fan voting. I, I like getting the fans involved, but there's some point... In, in all professional athlete or pre- pre- professional sports, when you have an injured player or a sub-performing player get an all-star selection, I think that's kind of garbage. I would completely and totally agree with that. And and just as a general idea to throw out there, I've always been kind of in favor of fan voting being available, but that that fan voting should make a up third. a third, exactly, a third of the voting for All-Stars. With with, uh, managers and then players? Uh, Managers and players, or um, writers? or Yeah, I was going to say, or, you know, they can do something similar to the Heisman group, which you know, allows allows the writers that are former Hall of Famers or Hall of Fame members. Right. Some sort of at least less biased than a fan. Honestly, you have 25 votes. You could technically vote for the entire Yankees team 25 times per Yankees fan. And but there's no question that the New York Yankees have a larger fan base than any other yeah. team in the world. And, and that's pretty much what it's boiling down to, just like the, the Yao Ming vote in basketball. You have an entire country voting for you. So well, The age-old question to me, is is the All Star Game about entertainment, or is it about no. putting together the best team? It can't be entertainment in this aspect because it means something. The MLB has been promoting for the past three years that in order to win the game, you get home field advantage in the World Series. So at this point, you have to put the so, best players. So Major League Baseball is saying that in order to gain a competitive advantage for your league. You need to put the best players up there. So fans voting is stupid, exactly. according to Major League Baseball. But yes. ultimately, if we look at the strings that are pulling in Major League Baseball, it's an entertainment business, right? So ultimately, what's going to get the most butts in the seats, what's going to get the most people watching on TV, create the highest drama, in my opinion, is probably what's best for the all-star game as an entertainment vehicle. But if I'm a team, if, 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 if I'm a player of a team, or if I'm a team, an owner, and I get shafted because the best players weren't playing in an all-star game, that actually means something. You know, if, if it was just like every other game, like the Pro Bowl, like the NBA all-star game, where they just play to have fun and, hey, you get bragging rights, no problem. Sure, you can have six of the nine New York Yankees. I, don't, I wouldn't care. Right. But to have this, the MLB changed this rule. To, to yeah. create more entertainment. And I think to, to, to balance that out, they have to put the best people in and, and, and forget about the six of nine, the Yankees. And again, that does not merit anything that six, the entire infield, even Russell Martin, who, 
Yeah, sure, he, he had a few good years in the Dodgers. But there, there's other deserving people. Russell Martin's the only reason he's getting in is because of the fact that he's Yankee. Don't 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 get me wrong. I'm not an advocate for who's the most popular. I just think that that's what it is. It, it's a popularity. It, event. It, it's a popularity event, and also ultimately the biggest markets are going to win because it's it's an entertainment vehicle, and that's unfortunate. I almost would like to see something, you know, akin. I I think one of the and there's probably some crap going on behind the scenes here too, but I think one of the purest and neatest things that I see is like. The high school All Americans, you know, where they have those games where they're like the best players in the country, and and you watch it, and maybe they're not the biggest personalities, egos, whatever, but there's just some good gameplay, and it's just fun to watch. And I'm personally for more of a game like that, no matter what the sport. If any sport goes towards something like that, or even have an additional type of game where it's like, here's our, you know, All American. Major league players versus I guess you can uh, see that. Uh, no, I, I something I, I, as, as much as the NFL gets kind of teased for having the Pro Bowl after the season where it doesn't matter, and they're taking away players who are in, independent and everything. Why not have something? I won't say after the season, but you know, have have something there if if you're going to go that route. I, I right. I'd rather not. I'd rather not have. You know, I would just like the MLB to not. Put so much importance on home field advantage right. based on an all-star game. Like, I guess, especially when the fans have this much of a, of a say. One of the one of those two things has to go. I think that's I think that's the overwhelming opinion. Is that either the the all-star game cannot determine the home field advantage for the World Series, or fans can't vote. Those two things not are even well, I, I, I think what you go together. I think what you said with it with the third vote have have it mean something because. It, all the other professional sports have it as it means something. It you know a half or a third. It's a component to the overall vote. But yeah. It's the other thing. Factor. The other thing you have to keep in, in mind is if you listen to Sports Talk Radio right around the time that they are getting ready to vote for who makes the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, you know that the a stat that does get thrown around, whether we like it or not, is how many times that player went to an All Star game. And to throw, okay, let, let's let's disregard Derek Jeter in this argument because he's in the Hall of Fame anyways. But Adrian Gonzalez, for example, let's say he goes on and has a spectacular career, but he gets outvoted to go to the All Star Game by Yankees players every year, even though he's potentially had a better season in each one of those individual cases. That's a problem. Yeah, especially with unfortunately for Adrian Gonzalez's standpoint is the fact that he played in a small market in San Diego. Yeah, baseball purists knew who he was. But a, a lot of the casual fans who are voting, before he became out Boston, how many, how many people knew of him? You know, and, and that's tough. Uh, so I, I definitely agree. And you're going to put more weight on people who start in the All-Star game compared to just, just even making it. So that, that, that is a really good bring-up. Well, I think that's going to about wrap it up for this show. We have gone well past our allotted time limit. So, uh, Bob, what is our allotted time limit? Uh, what is that? Whenever I say... 49.50. It's time to stop. 32 and a half minutes? Bob, I got talkative. Give the outro. Okay. Well, this has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please send your suggestions on how we can improve the show and comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468. 646-397-6468!
But I think you need to say that a little bit faster so that people can understand. Make sure they have their dialing fingers ready. Fingers ready. Fingles. Fingles. Dialing fingles. Dialing fingles. Episode title. And thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure you tune in next week. We'll have plenty more good stuff for you. Um, hopefully, we won't uh, have any more bad news coming out of Columbus. This is none of you can actually condone by sports on point, but you can't spell cheat without heat. <laughs> you can't spell cheat without heat. And a simple rearranging <laughs> makes the word hate. Yeah. Wow. And thought. Do you want to do the sponsor? <laughs> the sponsor statement again, Bob. This episode of Sports on Point was sponsored by Shinerbach, a real Texas beer. <gasps> and TGIF, cheddar and bacon, potato skin peeled chip thingies. <laughs>